Hello and welcome to the Positive Choices Podcast, where we give you brain-based strategies to help children make positive choices, solve social problems, regulate strong feelings, and thrive. I'm Lindsay Keeley, a social and emotional learning specialist and your host. In today's episode, we'll be talking all about ways that you can solve problems with children. We'll explore the difference between a productive approach to solving problems and a punitive approach. And finally, we'll give you some practical tips as to how you can help children build problem-solving skills and increase empathy. Let's get started. Hey there, thanks so much for joining me today. I am thrilled because we're talking about one of my favorite topics, which is how to solve problems productively with children. And as an aside, all of the strategies and the things that we talk about today can be applied to your adult relationships. And so we're actually exploring doing a future episode about applying a productive approach to problem solving with our adult relationships. This is something that Thomas and I would love to speak to because we have found that as Positive Choices was being developed, it started to transform the way that we interact with one another, the level of empathy, the the focus that we have when we start to go through something, if there's a problem that we have, we, we take this really a productive approach and it certainly transformed our marriage. And so if that is of interest to you, we're gonna be doing an Instagram poll um, and, and exploring if that's something that our listeners would also enjoy listening into in terms of getting this practical piece for adult relationships. However, for today's episode, we are focusing on what this looks like with children, and we're gonna start with something new. We're gonna start to do listener shout-outs, and this is an opportunity for us to highlight something that someone in the Positive Choices community has shared as it pertains to what this content has done in their life, whether it's listening to our podcast or watching a YouTube video or reading the Positive Choices curriculum, we would love to hear how this is affecting the way that you live, parent, or teach. And so the shout out today comes from a parent in Bend, Oregon. And she said, referring to her daughter, Natalie, she said, when Natalie and I were having a disagreement about whether she should clean her room, she pulled a positive choices, problem solving reflection out from her backpack. Mommy, I'm a problem solver, she explained, and she is. Natalie is able to clearly identify her feelings and envision and draw herself responding with positive choices. If she does something unkind to another child, she never comes home embarrassed or ashamed. Instead, she's excited to show me her worksheet and how she's problem solved. For Natalie, the problem-solving reflection is a way for her to translate her complex, fluid feelings and behaviors into something tangible and concrete, something that she can control. So, oh, this is just such a a beautiful feedback. Thank you to this parent who shared this with us. Um, And really, this is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be exploring how can we help children not feel embarrassed or ashamed when they have a problem, but rather feel excited by the way that they solved that problem, the way that they repaired that situation with another child or even with another adult. And we're going to be talking more about the actual problem-solving form itself, the one that this parent referred to. But before we do that, I want to start out with a story. And this is really what showed the power of a productive approach. This is what showed me in the beginning of my journey why it's important to take this approach. So I was teaching kindergarten. I had just picked up my students from lunch. We're walking back to class. We always had um, a mindful moment after lunch and recess. That way they could just come in and journal. I had 
classical music playing. So everyone was coming in from the classroom and just getting into a, a calm, a calm headspace. And as the students were coming in, a student came up to me and he said, Mrs. Keeley, I need to solve a problem. And I said, great, tell me more. And he said, okay, here's what happened. I was out at recess and someone took the basketball right out of my hands and it really made my brain feel so mixed up. I felt so mixed up that I didn't really feel like I had control and I pushed him down. And then um, he got back up and said some words that were unkind to me. So I said unkind words to him and then we went to lunch, but we didn't get to sit by each other. So Mrs. Keeley, I didn't get a problem solved with him. And I said, oh, buddy, thank you for telling me that, that you had this problem. What do you want to do? And he said, you know, I really want to, I really want to solve this problem by doing a problem solving form. We call them problem solving reflections. He was referring to it as the form. He said, Mrs. Keeley, can I get a form? And then I think I want to write him an apology letter. And I said, that is an excellent choice. I think that's really going to help you repair and solve that problem. So he said, great. So he ran over, grabbed a problem solving reflection form out. He started drawing and writing about what was going on. And he was able to work on that independently. Uh, the class came to the carpet. I started teaching math lesson. And then because I had been doing problem solving in my classroom for a while. This was just a routine that the students had. They had that built into their schedule. They knew how to do it. So he put the problem solving reflection form on my desk along with an apology letter. And he came and joined us at the carpet. And I looked at him. He gave me a big smile and I winked at him. And then as I sent the students back off to their tables to do math workplaces or like math stations, he came over and I was able to check in. He showed me the paper and I said, okay, I, I see what's going on. He said, yeah, Mrs. Keeley. I, as I thought about it, it's actually, I think I was, I was mad. The, the feeling I was feeling was mad. And what I was thinking was, it's not okay. This is my ball. And I don't like it when kids take things from me. I really wanted to play with that, or I wanted him to at least ask me and use his words. So as I'm watching him explain his problem solving reflection to me, I just start to get these um, goosebumps. I would call them, I would tell my class, I have teacher goosebumps indicating that it was something that made me emotional and proud and just filled of joy seeing children internalize these concepts and these skills. And I just got emotional because here's a student who, if I had a more punitive approach, and we'll explore that more in, a, in a, just a little bit, but if I had a punitive approach that made problems look negative, if I had said, Hey, if you do these things, if you are, if you're push or if you're not, don't use kind words or not safe, then these are the consequences. And if I had a more punitive approach to discipline, the authoritarian form, so to speak, then this student might not have come up to me and said, Mrs. Keeley, here's what I did. He wouldn't have turned himself in and said, I need to get this off my chest and I want to repair. It's likely, in fact, the research actually shows that for those children and those students in school who are in a discipline um, framework in which discipline is a punitive approach, they're actually a lot less likely to tell the truth. They're a lot less likely to want to talk about topics that are having to do with mistakes they've made because a punitive approach can instill an element of fear and it can instill an element of shutting down vulnerability. So when a child makes a mistake, if we have a punitive approach and we say, that's not okay, this is how I'm going to, you know, we're going to have this consequence. And if we don't hear them, connect with them, have that empathy, it's 
quite likely that they're not going to want to come to us and, and try to verbalize and process what happened. And so having the student come up to me and just say, oh, I made this mistake, Mrs. Keeley, and I really, I don't think I can focus on the math lesson until I've processed it. And I would really love to be able to make an apology letter and then share that with the student in class. And so this was this beautiful moment later on when the students were in um, reading centers, I was able to pull the other student who he had conflict with. And they just kind of sat at my back table with me real quickly. And he just said, hey, here's what happened. And the other student was able to apologize. He gave the apology letter. They gave a, a tight hug and they went to their reading centers. And it was just like, it was so fluid. It happened so quickly. And now these students were best friends again. They were skipping out to recess an hour later. And this is the power of having a productive approach for holding space, eliminating shame, building that shame resilience, and helping children know that, man, we all have problems. And when we solve them, when we're open and honest and transparent, and when we work together with someone else to apologize, to be vulnerable, then that can lead to deeper levels of connection and it can help us become better problem solvers. And so that is just what I want to start off with. A story that really showed me, aha, this is powerful. Children can do it. They have it in their power. And that's when I knew this is something I wanted to disseminate to a wider audience. And this was another thing that when COVID hit, I had so many teachers and families reach out saying, please help us. What do we do? At school, children had this problem-solving language. A lot of schools are using the Positive Choices curriculum, and it has the problem-solving chapter, chapter nine, as well as this reflection form. And families were wanting to get on the same page and really utilize that tool as well. And so that was one of the aspects that led me to create the family curriculum and to engage in that journey. So before we hop into some practical tips for you, Let's talk about the difference between a productive approach to solving problems and a punitive approach. With a productive approach, the focus is all on learning from the problematic behavior. And as we explored discipline in a previous episode, I'll link that in the show notes, we talked about the work of Dr. Tina Payne-Bryson and Dr. Dan Siegel, and their mission has been to reclaim the definition of the word discipline to mean to teach and to help children understand the impact of a given behavior and build skills for the next time they have a situation that presents to be challenging for them. Now, another aspect of a productive approach as we define it is all about teaching skills and then strengthening and repairing relationships. So when there's an issue, you get to help children understand, okay, how can we repair this with the other child or the other adult that you were with. In the example of the student that I had in my class, he was used to solving problems productively because that was the culture of our classroom. And he knew that was just part of our cultural norm. He, Mrs. Keeley, I really need to repair with this other student because we've had this issue. There was this rupture. He didn't say that in those words, but there was a rupture and the need for repair is something that will happen as you start to take a productive approach. Finally, when you do this, you'll see a long-term behavioral change because you are taking the time to build the skills rather than just punishing or focusing on the unwanted behavior. You're getting behind what's behind the behavior and then you're figuring out, okay, what skill can we build? And ultimately, when you take a productive approach to solving problems or to discipline, you're going to help 
children become more empathetic. You're going to foster empathy because they'll see where other people are coming from and how their actions impact others. A different approach that's quite common to discipline or to problem solving is a punitive approach. And in that approach, the focus is on the unwanted behavior. Oftentimes, the main goal is to assign a punishment or a consequence. And ultimately, you're going to see a short-term behavioral change. Maybe the student or the child stops the problematic behavior in the moment, but it's going to come up again because you're not taking the time to build the skills and, and get creative and curious about what's happening for this child. Furthermore, one of the side effects of taking a punitive approach is that it can lead to feelings of shame. And again, shame is the feeling that I am bad. Guilt, conversely, is the feeling of what I did was bad. And if we are having conversations that are really focused on the negative behavior, and if we're just talking about you were not safe or you are not a good brother, you were not being kind, um, what you're doing is, is not okay. Now, of course, it's important for us to help that boundary explain to children when certain behaviors are not okay. But if we leave it at that, and if we're just assigning consequences and punishments, if we're using different things that are really punitive in nature, then we're not going to be able to have the opportunity to build empathy and to help children build that self-compassion and all of the amazing benefits that come from taking a productive approach. And so let's talk about how you can take a productive approach. And to do that, I'm going to give you an example. In the spring of 2020, when schools were closed and many parents found themselves having to work from home over Zoom, I had a family reach out to me. And this family had a copy of one of the first versions of the Positive Choices family curriculum. And the mother let me know that since she had started the curriculum, reading the book with her children, she noticed a shift in the way that she was able to work from home, and the way that she was able to parent. And she said that it was a night and day difference. So one day before reading the curriculum, she's sitting in the living room trying to do her Zoom meeting. Meanwhile, she's hearing her children in the other room arguing over a toy or some, some kind of thing that they were really frustrated over, and she felt torn. She wanted to be present for work, and yet she also felt like she was having to put out fires with her children. And then she told me, much to her amazement and joy, after she started reading the Positive Choices book to her kids, she had taught them while reading chapter nine that their brains are amazing and they have the ability to solve problems all on their own. The book itself introduces the problem-solving reflection sheet. It's like a one-page double-sided resource. And after teaching it to her children, and you just read the, the chapter out loud and they learn it simultaneously with you, her older daughter was able to internalize the skill. And then now her older daughter was suddenly helping the younger sibling work through the problem. So she said that it was incredible. Here she is doing a Zoom meeting and she notices it's strangely quiet in the other room. Typically, she might be expecting there to be some arguing at this point in time. And she kind of excuses herself and peers into the other room and finds that Here's her daughter sitting next to her son. They have the problem-solving form in between them, and it's reusable, so you put it in a, a dry erase 
sleeve or a page protector, and then you you could use a dry erase marker. And here her daughter is asking her son, now, how are you feeling when we weren't sharing? And why is this a problem for you? And how should we make it better? How are we going to repair? And so this daughter was walking through the different steps. And keep in mind, this child who's facilitating the problem solving was eight years old at the time. And younger sibling was five years old. And so here, these children who are young, they're internalizing the concepts and they're solving the problem among themselves. And in fact, not only were they just pushing through the issues, they were actually finding really healthy and productive ways to solve the problem. And of course, there were times where this mother said that she would intervene or or more so it was coming alongside her children seeing, okay, how can I help with this? How can we, how can we solve the problem together? Or do you need my help? And it was really just this beautiful feedback that she shared with me. And the beautiful thing is that this is what we see in classrooms. And now as parents are starting to use this technique, as they're implementing a productive approach to problem solving, this is what we're seeing in homes as well. So let's jump in now to looking at the different elements of a productive problem solving conversation or a reflection. And to do that, I'm going to be describing this problem solving reflection resource. And this is something that comes with the curriculum. And we also have it available on our website as a digital PDF download. And so if you are someone who just wants to download this problem solving form, You can certainly do that by going to positivechoices.com slash store, and you'll find it right there at the top. Now, if you do not have this problem-solving resource, you still can follow the same template or the same outline as you're working with a child um, through a problem-solving conversation. And how the form works is you start by making sure that both the child and the parent or teacher are calm and in control of any strong feelings. To be able to have a productive problem-solving process, the the prerequisite is that everyone feels regulated. Because if a child's brain feels all mixed up, if they are upset and they are just still really emotional, they're not going to be able to access that higher-order thinking. Um, We talked before about the prefrontal cortex and the executive function skills a child cannot tap into that part of their brain if they're still upset. Likewise, as an adult, we're not going to be able to parent or teach or really show up in a way that's productive and kind and empathetic if we are also upset. So it's completely normal and it's it's actually a great opportunity if you're not feeling regulated to tell your child or your student, you know, my brain feels a little mixed up right now. So I know that we need to talk about this problem and solve it, but I'm going to take a little brain break or I'm going to go on a walk or I just need a minute to help my brain feel calm. I'm going to do some breaths and then we can solve this problem. And so as children see you doing that, it's teaching them, oh, it's okay to be upset. And so everyone's brains can feel mixed up sometimes. So that in and of itself is a very valuable teaching opportunity if you find yourself to be dysregulated. So how the form works is it starts by making sure everyone's calm and in control and then It has the child reflect on what they were feeling and what they were thinking. And those are two important aspects and they're very different. Having the emotion is one thing, but then when a child's able to differentiate that from their thoughts, it gives them a better understanding of their internal experience and that's what's going to help them learn from the problem. 
And this is an amazing skill. This is a metacognitive skill, meaning that a child and adults as well are able to think about their thinking, analyze their internal experience, and then move forward. That way, when they're faced with a similar problem, they can make adjustments. And so the reason why it's important to differentiate feelings from thoughts is because it can help a child dive deeper into how an emotion is connected to a thought. Let me give you an example. So I was working with a couple of students. They were both really frustrated. The one student who had a problem-solving form, he said that he was feeling really mad because this other student took his Legos. Again, (laughs) in kindergarten, a lot of these problems come down to sharing toys, very common. Um, And he was just so frustrated. And the other student, he actually, on his problem-solving reflection, he circled confused. And in his thought bubble, he's, he drew a picture, he drew a picture, and then he verbally explained to me, Mrs. Keeley, I'm confused because, insert other student's name, because she is really mad. And I can tell that she's frustrated at me, but I really have no idea. And that's also a really beautiful thing. If you can have two problem-solving forms, two different reflections side by side, that way both children can have an opportunity to reflect and then share with one another, hey, here's what I was feeling and thinking. And then, okay, what about you? And then give time for the other child to think and express what they were feeling and thinking. And you're allowing children to get to understand one another's internal experience and thereby teaching a very important lesson about empathy. You can also do this By talking to a child as an adult, you can say, here's what I was feeling and thinking, and you can allow a child to compare their internal experience and yours. Maybe a child really wanted to get a toy from out of the street, and you could share, you know, I also saw the toy in the street, but I knew that a car was coming. So I felt really worried because I was thinking, oh no, I want you to be safe. And so this is really a beautiful opportunity to allow a child to understand others' viewpoints. And the thing about the problem-solving reflection that comes with positive choices is that it has visuals. And so instead of asking a child just to think about what feeling they were they were experiencing, there's actually an emotions chart in which a child would circle with that dry erase marker. Maybe it's the, the angry face or the confused face or sad. There, there's a bunch of emotions there. And as you're doing that, they're building emotional literacy. And then there's the thought bubble next to the emotion chart where a child gets to reflect on what they were thinking. And if you're one who likes to use the aspect where you're using a marker, you or the child could draw or write what they were thinking. If it's a really young child, maybe you're just narrating for them or touching and talking and not necessarily filling it out. So after you've help the child identify what they were thinking and feeling. Next, you move on to the problem or what they think happened. And there's a variety of pictures that go along with it. So you could either circle an example of someone was not being kind, someone was not following directions or not listening and thinking to what the other person was saying. There's different examples. And then the next piece is, why is this a problem? It affects dot, dot, dot. And there's some options. Does it affect safety? physical safety? Does it affect a relationship? Is there an effect on someone's learning? And this is really common in schools. This is helpful for teachers to be able to point out to children. When you were in the back of the classroom doing your little floss dance or meowing like a cat, 
that was affecting other children's learning. And likewise, I was working with one family and they were really struggling to get out the door in the morning. And after working with them and their child, we just talked about how when this child was really not wanting to get ready, it was actually affecting her learning because she wasn't getting to school on time. And turns out that's when they started their math lesson. And so this this aspect of learning being affected by a problem certainly can apply to both families and schools. And there's also an other box. So with each of these elements of the problem-solving reflection, there's always the opportunity for either the child or the adult to reference the other. So maybe whatever their experiences doesn't fall under the categories that are listed on the reflection and that's okay. And let's expand what it is that they were thinking. So that's the front side. That's all about the problem. Everyone's version or experience of the problem and then the reasons why. And then on the other side, it goes over, well, what can you do next time? What's a positive choice that you could make if you're faced with a similar problem? After that, there's the element that's what problem-solving power could you use or can you use? And we'll talk more in a future episode about problem-solving powers, but essentially they're strategies that children can use when they're faced with an issue. Examples include share power, talk it out power, ask for help power, and so on and so forth. And then finally, at the very end of this problem-solving reflection, at the bottom, it says, what can you do to repair or how can you solve the problem? And different options include things like make an apology, do something kind for the other person, clean up the mess. So if a child gets really frustrated and knocks over blocks or maybe they scribbled all over a friend's wall with crayons and they didn't even know that that wasn't a positive thing, they can go back and and wash it off. They can pick up their toys if they were really dysregulated and made a mess and of course, there are other. there's the other option box, but this is allowing children to have a productive approach. As a parent or a teacher, you can have this approach. And then from the child's end, they're learning about their emotions, about their experience, how it affects others, and then what strategy and what skill they can build if they face a similar problem. And then ultimately, you're facilitating that repair by having children think about what they can do to solve the problem. Not only does that help keep the accountability so children know that when they make a mistake or when they have a social problem that they have the agency and and they have that accountability to fix it, but also it helps them feel better. It actually builds shame resilience when children can see that they can be part of a solution. And again, as adults, if we can talk about how we used a problem-solving process ourselves, that really normalizes the the situation. It normalizes problem-solving. And I would do this with my students in kindergarten, and they loved it. And it actually happened organically. I, I didn't mean to talk about myself using the form, but I said something to the effect of, woof, I had a problem this morning. I needed to problem solve. This is in the morning meeting. And a child said, Mrs. Keeley, do adults problem solve? And the, the children were just shocked. And I said, why, yes, they do. It didn't occur to me that my students didn't realize that children, that adults can problem solve and have issues. And so I talked about how I really was grumpy in the morning and I couldn't find my car keys and all, that made my brain feel mixed up. And I was really pretty grouchy with Mr. Keeley, as I referred to him, Thomas, my husband. And I said I was grumpy with him and then I left and I didn't even say sorry. And now I feel kind of funny inside because I know that 
I need to be more kind to him in the future. And so I actually, one of the students said, Mrs. Keeley, you should do a problem solving form. And it made me laugh. But then I realized, oh, sure. So I pulled it out. I pulled out a, a problem solving reflection, put it underneath my document camera so the class could see it projected on the wall. And then I went through the process and they were able to help me work through next time if I feel upset. I can take deep breaths. Another student said, Mrs. Keeley, you could have used walk away power. And I said, that is another strategy I definitely could have used. And then finally, a student told me that I should really write an apology letter, which made me laugh. Of course, I kept that inside my head. But I said, you know, if I were to write him a letter, it probably wouldn't get to him before I came home. But how about I send him a text? And so the class chanted, text him, text him. So I sent an apology text in the class was just thrilled when Thomas texted me back saying, I forgive you, I completely understand. And it was just so beautiful. In fact, in the time it took for him to reply, the class was saying, did you get a text yet? Did he text you back? And so here they were peering into the internal experience of an adult and what that's like to have a social mistake and then solve it. And so today, as you are driving home or as you are cooking dinner or vacuuming or wherever you find yourself listening to this podcast, consider applying a productive approach to the next problem you have, whether it's with a student or if it's with a child of your own or maybe even an adult in your life. Again, I think next episode we'll talk more about applying these strategies to other adults. Consider taking a productive approach and talking about things such as what was the person thinking or feeling? asking a child to talk about what was going on for them. What was the problem? Why was it a problem? And then focus on what they can do next time. What positive choice can they make moving forward? What's a strategy that they can use if they feel upset, if they're faced with a similar situation? And then finally, help children reflect on what they can do to repair so that they have the accountability, so that they have empathy, and so that they feel good about how they solve the problem. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you are interested in that problem-solving reflection form, you can certainly, again, check out our website, positivechoices.com store. Also, if these episodes or if any of the curriculum or YouTube videos have been helpful for you, feel free to send us um, a direct message on Instagram. You can email us at info at positivechoices.com or you can leave a review in Apple Podcasts and that would certainly make our day and it would help us spread the word even further. Thanks again for listening and we will talk with you soon.